Good afternoon. Good evening. Welcome to Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to those who are celebrating. We've got a miracle-oriented show tonight. Very topical. Anybody who's paying even a little bit of attention to the news knows that clemency is the name of the day. Pardons have been granted. Commutations have been granted. The philosopher once said the greatest sign of a monarch is clemency. <laughs> there's, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a king on his way out, and uh, and one on his way in in this country, and and this is often the season of pardons, the season for many families of miracles, for others who have been victims of crimes. It's a complex topic. The topic tonight is the essence of compassion. How does clemency work in our criminal justice system? We're uh, graced by two no pun intended, graced by two uh, wonderful guests, one of whom is named Rebecca Grace. And Rebecca is the founder and CEO of Complete Picture. I'm sure it's going to come out tonight that I know Rebecca very well, and she probably knows me better. No, for sure, she knows me better than I know her. Uh, She's a director, a producer, an editor of films and videos. She's garnered awards worldwide. Rebecca is a member of the Motion Pictures Editors Guild in Los Angeles, She's now turned her talent and passion to helping individuals who are facing long prison sentences to tell their complete stories to the judges deciding their cases. In her spare time, Becca enjoys editing her teenage daughter's soon-to-be-published novels. I want to hear about that. Uh, Becca, welcome to Equal Footing. Thank you, Dove. Good to be here. <laughs> I appreciate it. This is, the, I think, the first time we've had a show with two folks in the Bay Area. So it's like a different vibe tonight. Also uh, graced by the presence of Shadid Wallace Stepter, who I know likes to go by Shah. And Shah Stepter is a formerly incarcerated filmmaker, media producer, and entrepreneur in the San Francisco area. Shah speaks across the country about his experience discovering technology and entrepreneurship, particularly on open source software development, a topic that's weirdly close to my heart, while serving a life sentence in the California prison system. Uh, He became an advocate for inclusion and reform. He's currently producing a documentary called Growing Up Behind Bars and the web, the podcast and web series Convicts, Culture and Caucasian Women. He's also studying computer science and video production at Berkeley City College. Shah, welcome to Equal Footing. Nice. Actually, meet you and be involved, man. Thank you. <laughs> I, first of all, want to honor you both for tackling a tough topic. You're both advocates for compassionate uh, sentencing, criminal justice reform. Shaw, you've been a recipient of clemency, which I look forward to talking about. And Becca, you have stepped in and been an angel for. Uh, many people who have been facing sentencing and and in the criminal justice system and worked with them to show the whole self, all of them, their their errors, their their warts, their transgressions, and also their beauty and their um, their capacity for redemption. So I honor you both for the work you do and also for having the guts to talk about it openly because people have pretty um, 
it's a polarizing topic. People have different views on how, uh, you know, how the clemency should be doled out. There are those that feel like uh, mercy towards folks that have transgressed and oppressed society. I think it was Robespierre who said it best that, you know, those who, that, that mercy for those who have oppressed society is in fact oppression. And it's a, it's a, it's a complex topic around mercy and forgiveness and, and, and clemency. First of all, what does clemency mean? Like what is the difference, Rebecca, between when we talk about the criminal justice system, between clemency and leniency and pardons, you know, can you like parse through this a little bit for for those that may not be aware of the the particulars? Well, you know, I think what kind of ties all of it together is the idea that a person is more than just their biggest mistake, and. In, in all three examples that you give, the most important thing is that, for me, I think our criminal justice system is pretty flawed, and there's a lot of discussion about why and what to do about it. And I think the most important thing that we can do, the most single important thing we can do, is start to really examine who we're incarcerating and why. And for us as a society to understand that, and also to help to give judges a tool so that they can better understand the whole picture. Um, a lot of times what judges see is just like the negative facts about the person on paper. And they're not really able to, um, you know, because defense, oftentimes federal public defense attorneys don't have more than maybe seven to ten minutes with, per client. So they don't really, so and per, as per our constitutional right, um, each, of, each of us is really, um, has a right to due process, which I, I feel that our country has failed so many people in that area. So what what I believe clemency is is um, what what I what I stand for at um, and why I started Complete Picture is telling the story of a whole human being, the complex story, and what and then the judges watch our videos just prior to deciding that person's sentence. And in many cases, it just gives that judge more confidence to proceed with more lenient sentencing. Because so many people in our country, we have over 2,200,000 people incarcerated in the United States. And 54% of those people are in prison for nonviolent crimes. Hmm. And I think their stories are just not understood. And I think for those that haven't been through the criminal justice system, and, and I have, as many listeners know, and we may get to that tonight, it, you, you're often surprised at the power of the judge. I mean, the judge is, is really absolute monarch in his or her realm and can uh, either stay within, there are guidelines, of course, around around sentencing, uh, both prison time and community service and, and uh, home detention and so forth, but they, there's a ton of leeway uh, at all levels, federal, state, and county, for judges to uh, go outside of the guidelines and within the guidelines to be very creative Shot, you you've been sentenced. You 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 were incarcerated for a long time. How did you and Becca connect on this on this topic? And what is what is clemency, or I guess the topic of the show, the essence of compassion in the context of clemency? What has that meant for you personally? Um, what does clemency mean to me? Well. uh Interesting question because, for one, I am a recipient of clemency from the governor. So, like, that's the only reason why 
I'm sitting here talking to you right now on this show is because I was fortunate enough to receive clemency from the governor. So, um, I mean, what it means to me on a personal level is that um, the governor's clemency, for the most part, was basically um, a second chance at life. Because if, had I not received clemency for the governor, I would still be in prison right now awaiting to go to, before the parole board. When did so, you receive um, clemency, Sha? I was, I was, uh, my sentence was commuted and the governor exercised his powers of clemency on August 17th, 2018. So, uh, almost two and a half years ago. Now, for, for listeners who are not aware, the difference between a pardon and a commutation, as I understand it, is a pardon is where a conviction is, is effectively erased, like a case is thrown out. Your criminal record effectively disappears. Whereas a commutation of sentence is whatever punishment you're enduring that you've been sentenced by a court for is commuted, it's shortened, it's changed. And so your your sentence was commuted, so you were let out of prison after being in prison for a long time? That's 100% correct. And, and um, so uh, not long after my uh, release from prison, um, through my network, because I, I got a problem, I'm fortunate enough to have a pretty big support system, but through my support system, um, I was introduced to a woman who wound up introducing me to Rebecca and John. And so uh, we connected initially in August of 2018, and then we actually sat down and met for the first time, I believe, in January of this year. So that, that's basically how we um, met, got connected, and started working with each other. And Sha, why, why were you incarcerated? What was the, the offense of conviction? When I was a junior in high school, um, I shot and critically injured a man. And so for that, uh, I received 27 years of life in, in prison. And you, and you served almost two decades in prison? Do I have that correct? Yeah. Um, I was in prison for about 19 years, nearly 20 years. And yeah, that and. Yeah, served all of that until I got out in um, August of 2018. I want to come back to your story because it's very impactful. I've I've also listened to a couple of your of your public sharings and your uh, the the raw way that you describe your experience. I think is as should be an example. You don't you don't shy from at all your res- your responsibility, um, th- your your transgression and the pain that you've caused. You've been focused on your own. Um, Improvement and your own uh, contribution to a, a greater good, and it just I want to I want to honor you uh, for that once again. But yeah, I, actually, Dove, I, I I'd like to um, say something about that. That's one of the you know main things that Shaw brings to the the art of filmmaking. Not only is he really an incredible cinematographer and producer and storyteller, but he goes, you know, at Complete Picture, we really wanted to strive, to, and we strive to bring on filmmakers who are previously incarcerated, who have the experiences of the people who we're telling stories about, so that we can more authentically tell their stories. And, like, Shaw is just such a, a necessary ingredient on every film shoot we have, because he has this incredible way of really helping the defendant whose story we're telling really helping that defendant to recognize what you just said, to really um, take responsibility for their crime, to, um, to, to express remorse, 
and to own it. And I think that's a really important part of the process of what we do. Yeah, that balance of accepting responsibility, expressing remorse, and also showing how you can get through to the other side and be a positive force and be merit to be free, merit to be forgiven is an extraordinarily uh, delicate balance. Uh, yeah, the, the most, the most, I think the most fulfilling thing about what we do is seeing the incredible transformation that every single person that we make a video about, like they start out in our minds as all we see is that they're, they've committed a crime, but by the time we're done getting to know them, we see them in some ways as a hero, that we see that they've come through so much in their life to be even where they are. And so like getting to see their transformation is the other side of the, you know, there's remorse and there's wrongdoing, but there's also growth and transformation. Get in on this conversation with our guests here on Equal Footing, uh, Rebecca Grace, Shah, Wallace Stepter. We're talking about clemency and how it works in our criminal justice system, the essence of compassion. It's a complex topic. You can dial in at 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090 to participate live. If you're shy about being on the air, first of all, you can always call in. You don't have to give your name. You can also text a question or comment to 917-428-4062. I'm going to take a break in a moment, but I want to come back to your use of the word hero. And I imagine there are certain people that were listening and and blanched when you said that, Becca. Right now, what's dominating the news coverage when it comes to clemency in the criminal justice system are a number of pardons that have been issued by the White House. Pardons, as Shaw pointed out, he was com- his sentence was commuted by the governor of California. But there, you know, there, there are commutations and pardons that can occur at the executive branch, the federal level as well, and and the uh, and the state executive branches, the governor, uh, the the level of governorship. The 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 Trump uh, White House has been emitting a number of pardons and commutations, and to a large number of there was a uh, an academic study that came out a day or two ago that showed that almost ninety percent of those pardons and commutations were in some way inher- kind of inherently political. There was a, a connection either to uh, a previous political campaign of President Trump's or a political action committee or, or some sort of you know, formal uh, lobbying group that had a registered association with, um, with either a Trump PAC or, or another, another political entity connected to the White House. So I, you know, there's now whether you agree with that or not, I think there are probably a lot of people out there that are struggling to understand whether that's the right use of the pardon power. I'm not commenting again on whether it is or it isn't, but we're gonna, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit about the difference between the work that you do, Becca, what you've experienced, Shah, and what we're reading about in the, uh, in the news right now around the uh, Trump pardons. That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be... We'll be right back on the break. If I, if I can get Dimitri's attention, or maybe we'll continue. <laughs> yeah, we'll be, we'll be right back. And it's a long day Living in Reseda There's a freeway Running through the yard You're on equal footing with Dove Tusman. Tonight's program is brought to you by Mechanical Art Capital. 
Mechanical Art Capital offers financing to watch collectors and watch dealers from anywhere on the planet. Unlock the cash value of your watch collection or inventory through Mechanical Art Capital's guaranteed buyback contracts. For more information, call 833-209-0972. Again, that's 833-209-0972. You can also go to www.mechanicalartcapital.com. If you need cash, Mechanical Art Capital funds are wired to you quickly and discreetly. Two business days or less, your timepieces are stored securely in Manhattan, New York, and you can have your watches back whenever you're ready. Safe and simple. Call 833-209-0972. I've been All right, you're back on equal footing with our guests, Shah, Wallace, Stepter, and Becca Grace, filmmakers, compassionate sentencing advocates, criminal justice reform advocates, and generally great human beings who have gone through their own redemption stories. I want to hear about your personal connection to each other, and Becca, your, the way you got into this field is a little bit probably less obvious for listeners than it is in terms of Shah's story. But I promise when we came back from the break, we'd talk about the Trump pardons. Now, are the, are these folks that are currently being pardoned or their sentences commuted, are they also heroes in, in, in your view, Becca? So when I use the word hero, I really use it more of like how a storyteller thinks of what a hero is. Um, so in stories... There, typically a story starts out with the dominant reality, and throughout the course of the story, the protagonist overcomes the dominant reality and brings into being the underdog reality, right? So what I see with the specific people that we work with at Complete Picture over and over and over again, every single person that we advocate for has come from... um, you know, often usually severe trauma in their childhood, being in foster care, homelessness, a parent being incarcerated, parents that were had substance use disorder and were in prison themselves and weren't there to care for their children. And so what we realize is that it's like in this, any, any Shakespearean tragedy, what we come to realize through the process of telling their stories that there are all of these seemingly insignificant events that add up to finally this person committing this crime. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, they, regardless of all of the, the um, struggles in their lives, they manage to get college degrees and raise their children and be good parents themselves, even though they didn't have good parenting, and, and volunteer at the church and teach, you know, 50 kids music over the last 20 years. It, you know, all these children will say, how great they have, you know, how much they've appreciated that their instruction for free that they donated to the church. And, you know, I mean, I could just go on and on with stories. So you realize when you start peeling back the layers that when you look at where this person started to where they find themselves at the point where they've been arrested, that they're, that it's there's, there's so much good there that also needs to be recognized when the judge takes into account their, you know, the, the choice on how long to send them to prison. Do you ever turn clients away at Complete Picture when you're approached either by directly by the attorneys or family members of someone who 
is either incarcerated or on in a pretrial basis or or is is going to sentencing post trial do you do you have to sometimes turn people away well typically we we aim to support people who otherwise could not afford to have their full story told so people whose only option is to have a a federal public defender um, standing up for them and and um, often usually um, public defenders don't have a lot of resources so that person is not going to have their full story told without us um, but it is my belief that you know everyone who's facing a stiff prison sentence should be um, ideally have the opportunity to have their full story told sometimes we do have to turn people away Currently, we represent only nonviolent offenders. Would you like to broaden that to violent I, offenders as well? I would eventually, yes. I, I would eventually. I think what we're doing is so new. Um, we're really testing such new waters, and I, it's not only new for us, but it's also new for judges. And uh, um, judges who may come in real skeptical about watching our videos end up like funding more of our videos, um, granting federal funding and stand be- standing behind us because they realize that what we're doing is, is giving them a tool that actually allows them, you know, gives them the information that they desperately need. I mean, we, our country is really struggling with mass incarceration. We have more people incar- incarcerated per capita than anywhere else in the world. We have, Five percent of the world's population and twenty-five percent of its prisoners. I just have to say this thing because it's real important to me. Fifty percent of people in federal prisons are there for a drug-related crime. Mm-hmm. So what we've done is we've criminalized mental illness, we've criminalized substance use disorder, and we're putting these people in prison. Many people in prison for stiff sentences who really need rehabilitation, and I think that stems from ultimately a feeling uh, that there is no such thing as rehabilitation. Um, I think people, for some reason in our society, underestimate um, individuals' ability to heal and change and grow. But what we see is incredible growth and change. I mean, we've seen people, the stories that we tell are, are so inspirational. A person, oftentimes people don't get the opportunity, for example, who may have a substance use disorder, to get rehabilitation until they've committed a serious enough crime that they're finally granted that by the court because up until then they haven't been able to afford it and their family hasn't been able to afford it for them. So um, it's it's important that we make these resources available to people before they're in the position where they're actually facing prison. Shao, we've been talking about the sentencing process. You obviously came to this topic almost two decades into a sentence. I want to actually talk about the alchemy of compassion in your life. Like what, what happened? Like, did you know it was coming that you were going to, you know, be, you know, have your sentence commuted? Did you have a sense? How did you feel right when it happened? How how did you connect with your with your family? You'd been behind bars for so long. Like how, how had that relationship evolved? Yeah, you know, there's I have so many questions about about how that compassionate event impacted your life. Um. So at the time I was commuted, I was hoping for it to happen, but I wasn't really um, expecting it. So like up until that point, I think. 
So when I was commuted in 2018, I think for like the, maybe the past six or seven years, I had been really working to just demonstrate externally that I had changed and I wasn't the same person that committed that crime. And like what that looked like was like um, committing myself to pursuing, you know, uh, a higher education, you know, like getting a college degree while I was incarcerated, doing things like really addressing the issues that um, led me to have the decision-making that resulted in me committing a crime that I committed. You know, it was doing those things that, like, would really um, make me feel like and would really demonstrate that I had um, changed and transformed from the person I was that committed the crime. So um, those were the things that I had just embarked on doing. And in doing so, you know, I I had basically really started to, um, I guess, really change the things that I value like my value system and the things that I thought were important to me. And pursuing those different things when it came to, you know, education and accountability, um, my value system started to change. And that was like, that was really like the main thing that I think that um, um, demonstrated my change. And so um, at the time I got my commutation, I, I, I hadn't told any family or anything like that, that that was something I was, I'm expecting because I wasn't expecting it. Mm-hmm. But then when I got it, you know, I let my mom know who was like, you know, um, her and my brothers, my immediate family are the closest people to me. I let my mom know, man. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, I really, I really kind of tapered the celebrating till I like got out of prison mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because up until the moment that I left, I just didn't trust it. Yeah, of course. I get it. Yeah, I, I didn't. I just didn't trust the system. But then, like, once I got out, that was when it really hit me. And it wasn't really, I don't think it was one of those things, like, you know, I celebrated and was just happy. And it was more relief. I was just, I was, I was more relieved to know that I wouldn't be dying in prison. Because oh that was one of the things that just really stuck with me. Like, you know, if, if, if left to anybody else, you know, if I left it up to anybody else, I would easily die in prison. I don't think anyone probably would have batted an eye at it. So, like, once I got out, it was really more that that relief that, like, I was back into society and that I was back a part of, like, what what we consider to be normal. And then it was just a matter of just, you know, I didn't have time to celebrate because I had to just hurry up. Or I felt like I had to hurry up and start putting my life back together. Get into this conversation about judicial compassion. How does clemency work in our criminal justice system? That was Shah... Wallace Stepter, who was incarcerated for 18 years. He was granted clemency by the governor of California in 2018. He's now an advocate for compassionate sentencing, a filmmaker, a software programmer, an entrepreneur. Becca Grace is on the show with us, who is the CEO and founder of Complete Picture, probably the leading uh, video-based advocacy in the sentencing program for sentencing in the United States and is doing really extraordinary work. 718-303-9090 is our number here in the studio, and you can also text a question to 917-428-4062. We have a few text questions uh, in the queue, but Shah, I want to, um, I want you to, if you if you're willing to almost on a yes no basis because I know this is extremely uh, it it can be a, a third rail type of question. Do you think your recovery, your your emergence of the complete you, your 
your growth into the man you are today was helped if you're super you know the most honest with yourself you can be it was helped by being in prison or was it hurt by being in prison how would you actually have more effectively healed for yourself and for society and for the victim because you almost you almost killed the person um about two decades ago if i understand correctly you know would were you better off being in prison for for a period of time that's a first of all thanks for the question i think it's a really good question right because um i actually talk about this a lot and specifically for me i'm only speaking for myself my own specific circumstances um i think prison was the best thing for me now and and let me clarify and qualify that by saying that um I think the criminal justice system and I think the prison system in the United States is broken. And I think that what exists right now, um, I don't think people should be in those circumstances. I don't care who you are and what you did, because I don't think that system is designed to help people. I think it's designed to punish. And I feel like as a society, we have an obligation to the people who commit crimes to feel like do it, or at least for me, I feel like I have an obligation to the individuals who, who commit crimes to at least do what I can to provide support that's needed to help them heal. Because I think a crime is a result of like harm and trauma. And I think it's a result of people going through things and never, un- and never processing them things. Mm-hmm. That's what I think crime is. So for, for my own specific circumstances, because of the way I thought, because of the things that I value, because of my, my relationship with violence and causing harm and hurting people, um, I was completely okay with carrying guns, shooting people, selling drugs, and doing, like, all of this toxic stuff to my community. And when I sit back and think about that, I don't know if there was anything that existed in my life or anything that I could have encountered that would have changed the way that I thought about the rest of society and where I fit into society. You know, like I was, I was completely happy with being a criminal, and it wasn't until Shaw, I got the chance. Go ahead, Shaw. Can I can I mention just one point, knowing your history a little bit, though? Yeah. So, but where there was this break in your life was when you were young. Your mom was arrested, right, and for her addiction, and sent to mm-hmm. prison. Uh-huh. So, what if your mom had gotten help and not sent to prison, and your family hadn't been torn apart? Would that have made a difference? No, I don't think it was because I think what what really got my attention at that time, it wasn't my mom going to prison. That was something that definitely had a significant impact on the way that I thought about the world and the way I thought about myself. But in my community, like all of the men that I've seen in my community that I looked up for, that I looked up to, they sold drugs and they were violent and they committed crimes. So... Even if, even if, you know, my mom wouldn't have went through what she went through and therefore me going through what I went through, the things that exist in my community every day were still there. They were there when I went to school. They were there when I went to go play football. They were there when I went to go play. They were there when I went to go play basketball, do all these things. Those things still existed. And I think it was those, I think it was those influences more than anything else that had an impact and an influence on the way that I conducted myself in society. Now, Becca, you you have also 
been intimately connected to incarceration. I hope you don't mind me bringing this up. Do you want to share with the audience how that's touched your life? I mean, directly, yeah, personally, so- obviously all your, your, your clients and your colleagues and, you know, in the workplace, it's, it's the, the milieu in which you work, but in the yeah. home, so to speak. Yeah. So, um, so I was in a relationship for 10 years with a man who was addicted to crack. And um, I, he ended up becoming my husband. <laughs> He's been clean for 10 years, over 10 years now. But during this struggle, like as he, as he, you know, his life disintegrated, our lives disintegrated more and more. He eventually had committed, kept committing like theft crimes, crimes related to his drugs, his need for drugs. And he was facing prison. And I felt so, it's what sort of inspired me to do what I'm doing, inspired us to found Complete Picture because he was facing prison and there was really no way for me to explain to the judge or to get in, to get even a letter to the judge to, you know, let her know that John isn't like a career criminal, that he really needed help with crack addiction and we weren't able to afford the rehab it's really expensive to go to rehab and he wanted to go like many of the people that we meet want to go before they're in the kind of trouble they're in. So, um, I ended up going to the LA courthouse. I had like this one year old baby and I had her, um, in this carrying thing that you can strap onto your body. And I wanted, I went to the courthouse to try to deliver this really well written letter that I had written for the judge. And I, the security was kind of looking at me, weird so i got in the elevator and i just rode the elevator up and down all day everyone that got in that elevator i asked them do you know how i can get this letter to the judge do you know how i can get this letter to the judge and i did this for hours until finally someone took pity on me Mm. and took me by the hand and took me into an office and and figured out his case number and told me he would find a way to get that, that he would be sure to get that letter to the judge. You know, often there's a disconnect between the recipe and what's what's actually baked in, in, in real life because the manuals for sentencing at the federal and state and county levels all actually uh, re- not necessarily require but encourage the judges to have the, the the most information they possibly can from different perspectives about the person that's being sentenced because it isn't at that dyna- at that point in the in the process guilt has been determined by a jury and their their role is to try to mete out uh, justice in a way that is is uh, is also keeping in mind the benefits of society as well so that often your your stories Becca talk about the benefits from someone not being in prison to their family and to their friends and to their to to their, their their children, their parents, and so forth that that often don't get considered if they're not proactively brought to the to the fore. But they should be brought to the fore. You're not doing anything wrong by bringing them to the fore. You're not going outside of the lines by bringing them to the fore. It's just the judges, like you're describing, just don't often have the channels of access. They want to. They, they do not. They do not have the access. And and I think that we need to understand that there is a huge fiscal cost, which everybody hears about all the time, to incarceration. But even more importantly is the human cost. When, you know, a father or mother is taken away from their from their children or, you know, maybe someone who's caring for an elderly, their elderly parent is in prison. There's all of these, there's a lot of collateral damage right. 
that we can't even begin to calculate the cost of that. And that needs to be weighed. And that has to be considered. Yeah, it needs to be weighed. Yeah. We're going to take a, another break. Uh, we'll be right back on Equal Footing with my wonderful guests, Becca Grace and Shah Wallace-Stepter. Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. You're back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tuzman. You're with my guests, Becca Grace from Complete Picture and Shaw Stepter Wallace. They work together in compassionate sentencing advocacy work, criminal justice reform work, and various media and tech projects. Okay, I am going to get in trouble on on the show with um, some listeners and friends if I don't open up. It'll seem like I'm hiding something. So here we go. I'm going to dive into the, the cold water. Uh, as many listeners know, I have gone through a process in the criminal justice system. Uh, I was incarcerated because when the arrest warrant, I was I was arrested on uh, charges of conspiracy to commit securities fraud related to a public software company that I used to be chairman and CEO of a, a, about a decade ago. And many years after I left the post, a number of years after I left the post, I completely was taken by surprise on a short business trip. I was overseas. I was in Colombia. And prosecutors in the Southern District of New York, federal prosecutors, unleashed an, uh, un, un, or, what's it, unsealed, unsealed an indictment. I was unaware that that was happening. Of course, I was traveling. And they ordered my arrest uh, under what's called a provisional arrest warrant and uh, pending extradition to Colombia. Now, I had been traveling to um, – I'd been in, you know, I was living in New York. I was in Miami and Boston. I was in the UK and France and so forth, all sorts of places since they had uh, unsealed the indictment, but they waited till I was in a, a third world country. I love Colombia. I'm half Colombian, I'm not insulting Colombia, but it is a developing country and it is somewhat under the thumb of the US in many ways. And uh, they waited till I was there. And as a result of that, I ended up in a legal state of limbo. I was in several maximum security prisons. You know, usually, as I was saying this, I'd pe- I think people would be like, um, you know, the jaw would be dropping and so forth. But Shah, you know, given what you've gone through, <laughs> uh, I, 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 it's really uh, puts it in, in perspective for me. I, I was I was incarcerated for about 10 and a half months, and uh, they were in some very dangerous places. Some pretty awful things happened while I was there. And... Um, and then after, and I was in solitary confinement for a while. But then, and then I've I've since been battling my my uh, my legal fight. Now, why am I bringing this up? 
not to get compassion, although essence of compassion is the subject of the show, but to explain the connection. Uh, I care deeply about this subject as having gone through, and I'm a fighter. I've been fighting, and I'm, I know my lawyers don't want me to say this on the air, but I continue to affirm my innocence. I accept lots and lots of responsibility around my actions and errors and omissions and so forth in ways that I wouldn't have even ever dreamed I would, much beyond what the prosecutors bring up. But I don't accept that I was guilty of what the prosecutors charged me of um, because I'm not, and I have been fighting that for a long time. And that's not a good thing. So that's going to lead to one question, meaning you know when you don't kind of accept responsibility in a certain way, that can cause issues. But it is the way that I was blessed to connect with you, Becca, through the Aleph Institute, which is an organization that works with primarily Jewish people that are going through the criminal justice system, not only, but primarily. And I felt like you allowed me to breathe. You, the, the video that you helped put together for me, which in this case is for a clemency application. And I, my attorney submitted a clemency application to the White House this morning, literally, Literally. It <laughs> uh, wasn't planned this way. Becca, you know, we planned the show. This was supposed to happen over a week ago. But um, the video that accompanied that, that submission uh, was absolutely extraordinary. It's, it's affected my life. And, and, and it has made me want to work with you, work with you, Shah, and, and, and others. Because if you can't tell the full story in front of the judge and they see, you know, 2% or 10% of who you are, um, it's almost random, you know, what's going to happen. And you allow people to see the full story, Becca. So I am sorry to have just dominated the, the air there for, for you know, three or four minutes. But I wanted to be open about that, uh, about what's going on in my life, about how important, Becca, you are, the work that you're doing, Shah, how much I empathize and my heart breaks for you having grown up behind bars, Shah, prison I I am a radical. I am at the far radical end on this. I think that um, I'd almost rather, and this is going to sound horrible. Neither of you are going to agree with me on this, but I, I'd almost rather that that we have corporal punishment. Um, that you know we get to choose if we want our hand cut off or something than be in prison because it is it is it it's so dehumanizing. It was for me at least, and it it um it kind of can can really suck suck the life out of out of someone's even recovery uh, process. That's a probably a broader topic than we have for for tonight. But the point is that uh, I'm absolutely passionate about the work that, that, that you're doing and the need for people to uh, be able to express them, them, themselves and, and heal in love, not only for their own sake, for their family's make, sake, but also for their victim's sake, also for the victims of, of crimes, that, they're, it, the, that the healing needs to take place holistically and with love. So there you go. That's my, that's my little speech. <laughs> I apologize, guys. Don't like to do that in these this this format. Oh, it was it was good. You know, though. Um, I want to tell you a quick little story that ties into what you were saying, which is in a, in a strange sort of way. Um, so, one of the things that inspires me is this story of the Bambemba tribe, which is this tribe in South Africa. When someone there commits a crime, the whole community gathers together and have that person stand in the center of a circle. And they spend days telling each person in the community, in the village, tells that person every single last thing that they can think of that that person has done that's been good, good deed, why they love them, why they're important, why they feel that they're a good person. And it sometimes takes days. And at the end of it, the person's welcome back into the community. 
And I think what what I've witnessed that there's so much power in just the actual process of creating these videos because we interview many many people as like we did in your inter interview Joe, from that person's family and from their community and that person gets to hear mm. firsthand all of these accounts of their good doing and it reminds them it takes them back to the core of who they are and who they want to answer to on a spiritual level of who they want to be and it's really powerful right. and i think that um that's something that I just feel like, you know, with when we interviewed you, um, there were so many people who stood up for you and spoke on your behalf, and it was it was quite quite moving. <laughs> the whole event, really. You know, and it's I think often uh, compassion gets confused with with softness or not appreciating the position of of the victim because the one of the many weird things about my process was that. As many listeners know, I, I was assaulted in prison. I was physically assaulted. I was sexually assaulted. It was a, a process. It took me years even to be um, to really be open about it and, and heal. As a result of that, I ended up participating in a in a multi year uh, investigation and working with law enforcement that ultimately resulted in the arrest of the warden and a number of senior officials in the prison that I was in on extortion charges. And I saw it from the other side. So I got to be the alleged perpetrator of a crime and the true victim of a crime in the same physical experience and time frame in my life and that was just uh an extraordinary extraordinarily eye-opening experience because the compassion was bi-directional and my healing around around the assault only was able to occur also when i went through the portal of forgiveness uh, there are a couple of questions that that we've got first of all we've got a caller on line two which we're going to take in a second um but uh, there are a couple of really simple ones we can we can bang through uh, so Andrew from Passaic is asking about a loved one who's currently incarcerated and how to get in touch with you, Becca, or other resources like Complete Picture to get to get help. I don't know in this particular case whether this person is pretrial in pretrial detention or post-trial awaiting sentencing. But do you want to you want to take that, Becca, for Andrew and Passaic? Yeah, sure. Um, first of all, you can reach out to us at Complete Picture via. Um, CompletePicture.org is our website. You can also email me directly at Rebecca at CompletePicture.org or inquiry, inquiries at CompletePicture.org. And we can, you know, start a conversation. Great. And, and also for those that want to participate in this work, you can donate, right, on your on your site. I'm sure there are other great recipients of this type of charitable giving, but plug, oh, yeah. plug yours. <laughs> We would we would absolutely love donations. Your donations will go to other people who currently um, need to have their story told and just can't afford it. So um, www.completepicture.org. And I I did that because I didn't want to you know be a sponsor for my own video and I wanted to work with somebody else. And if you work with Rebecca and you 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 donate to it's a 501c3 you really get to also feel like you're a part of that process and you learn about the person that's going through the process of asking for leniency or uh, or or clemency. Shaw, we got a question for you. Uh when this is an anonymous text question, when you were applying for clemency, did the judge or I imagine maybe other law enforcement ask the victim if it was okay with them for you to get clemency? Uh, yeah, the part of the process is, especially for um, a commutation, is they definitely check in with the um, 
survivor in this case. And, uh, yeah, and the survivor in my, in, in my case, the person that I shot, uh, he actually said that he was okay with me being released, which was something I was not expecting but was super grateful for. That, that these type of stories touch me very deeply. Did did you connect with with him after? Are you are you allowed to connect with him after? Would you like to? I mean, personally. Um, no, I didn't. I didn't connect with him um, after. But I would. I would have liked. I would have liked to. But we're we're kind of precluded from doing right, doing right. that. You know, one of the weird things about one of the weird rules I find is that if someone that I technically don't have a criminal record because I'm still, you know, fighting my case and so forth, but you often have rules, even so, that that preclude you from uh, communicating in certain ways or being in the in the presence of, of of certain people that are you know that are either also in the criminal justice system or somehow could be perceived to be on the other side of your case. And it's 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 quite sad because there's certain types of healing that I think are hard to happen you know without that. So that's probably a topic for another show. But Becca, we have a, a, a simple question for you too, and we're going to take uh, Stan from Forest Hills. Is there is there ever? I was trying to get at this earlier in the show, but is there ever someone that you have outright refused to make a film for, and why? Yes, um, there was a defense attorney who I really trust. She's nominated several. You know, I, I collaborate. We at Complete Picture collaborate with defense attorneys, and they nominate people who they really feel could work, could use, utilize one of our videos. Um, and there was a defense attorney who I really trust, who I've worked with, collaborated with on other people's videos, who was guilty of um, trafficking, sex trafficking of young girls. Mm-hmm. And though it's not considered a violent crime, it was a, I, I just, there, there are lines <laughs> that I struggle with. Um, I, while I believe deeply that it is the right of every person to have their story told, I also, we have limited resources, and I really want to focus our resources carefully. So that's an example of a case that we did not take. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad we heard that uh, that question and that answer. So I, I do want to pre- preface it, though, with the fact that this, this person um, who's accused of this crime, severe uh, molestation and childhood trauma, untold like you've never heard before mm. and he really needs a psychological evaluation and he needs help and he's in prison and he's not getting it right there's like so as you said everyone everyone is, is has a right to a fulsome defense and i think part of that is a right to fully tell their story and to, and, and to heal everyone has that right yeah and and i feel like if we had told his story like there have been cases where we've told the person's story and though that maybe the person's sentence wasn't reduced much or at all, it, it still opened the judge's eyes to the fact that that person needed a psychological evaluation. That person's been in and out of prison for 25 years and is bipolar and has never been diagnosed. Mm. You know, so in, I, I, I wish that we could have helped. I wish we could have told the story for that young man because I think that, you know, I have to say 90, 95% of people in state prison will come back out on our streets, and we need to understand why they're committing the crimes they're committing, why they're there, and what they need to do to be held, because many of these people will come back out, and they might be more dangerous when they do. Yeah. Stan, you've been very patient. It's nice to uh, be on the air with you again. Well, uh, somebody already asked part of the question that I did about, did he 
talked to, was the, was the victim spoken to prior to it, and he answered that question, which I wanted to find out, and he, the victim obviously was okay with him for, for uh, giving him clemency. He, he said it was okay. That's fine. Uh, as far as what she has stated, there is an advocacy system of justice in this country where you make your case, you get your lawyer, and you tell your story in the trial. And uh, everyone has a right to a defendant. Everyone has a right to counsel. And technically, and uh, there's a we're all innocent until proven guilty. But under uh, <laughs> today, would you state that... Uh, You'd like to see the judicial system change to some extent in that regard as to what you're doing? You know, Stan, if you, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll interject something there. I, I think that in theory, where we've talked a little bit about this earlier in the show, about the idea of like the recipe and what's actually baked. So I, I went through an eight-week trial. The government uh, occupied – first of all, they put me on trial with a person that I had met for like 45 minutes of my life and you know, it was a t- really unrelated case or – tenuously related case but it was like a twofer and they the government knows that if you know they get you know one person looks guilty the other person well they there are all sorts of issues that you don't see on television uh you know you first uh, god bless the jury as human beings um of the whatever it was 11 or 12 people on the jury i would say uh the, the there were probably four or five people who are who are uh, completely unemployed and you know, uh, there were several people that were students, uh, and there were a couple of other people that that literally slept through a good portion of the trial that had to do with very complex securities fraud accusations that involved. Dove, uh, Dove. Hang, hang on, hang on a second, second. Hang on this a second. Not, I'm getting to. I'm getting to a point. About the gentleman, his, his, it's different from your situation. Okay, fair Dove. enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. I will, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll just I'll just end the point by 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 saying by, I'll pass it to Shah, but by saying yeah. that the theory. I think the theory is great. The theory is great. What theory? The, the theory of, of advocacy on a balanced playing field. Absolutely, there is. Uh, yeah. There is. You get a lawyer, don't you? You, may, you get a lawyer. Yeah. Now, your situation was more uh, not the local type of robbery, or the, the, but uh, you can't make the Absolutely what happened to you, we know about it. But you can't make the comparison to the local criminal or the local person who gets arrested, who gets a public defender. It's not the greatest, but they get it. It's an advocacy system. They have a right to bring up any information, any uh, uh, material that they have on their behalf, as she's stating. And that's where a person is convicted or not convicted. It's And you're right, there is a, a jury trial and so forth. And as you said, some of these people are not the most bright, but that's, that's the system we have. But it's not the same. I mean, the gentleman was convicted. He served his time. He got clemency. I'm happy that he did and that his victim. But uh, most of the time, it, it, it doesn't necessarily work that way. I'm asking her, is she willing to see this just judicial system change to a large effect in her way in that regard? That's what I'm asking. Yeah, well, I think that I, I think a little bit, a bit of the missing piece of the puzzle here is how overwhelmed public defenders are. Um, in some states, they spend only as much as six minutes with their clients. We're not being afforded our constitutional right of due process. That's the, that's the real crux. And that's what we're doing with our videos is we're coming in and we're doing the service where we're telling the whole story. We're giving that extra service. I think there's also something called um, where I think that, that sometimes judges have um, fatigue as well, overload from yeah, all of the stuff that they're reading. And so we're uh, we're allowing them to... 
you know, view the information in a different form, which is a little easier than reading all these black and, you know, documents that basically usually just state the crime. Shah, I got defensive there and got in the middle. What, what did you think about what Stan was saying? First of all, I don't know if you were convicted. Maybe you pled guilty. Or what was your reaction? No, um, I definitely was convicted. And um, I think if, if, if I heard his question right, was like, would, would, I think he was asking, will Rebecca change the system that's currently in place right now? Mm-hmm. If I heard him right. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, the, it's just like the problem for the system is, is, is for me, so I'm, I'm black, I'm an African-American man. I come from a background of poverty. So when you have individuals in those, in those situations, um, like in a, and another thing that Rebecca said, when it comes to people of color that come from low-income backgrounds, it's really hard when you don't have adequate representation to have your, your right, right, like the right of due process, the right of effective assistance of counsel. And without resources, without finances, um, that can make a huge difference in a court of law. Right. So what I would like to see is more, I would like to see more um, equity and also just, just a more balanced system. And I would also like to see a lot of the elements that exist within the current system um, change dramatically because the system has a way when it comes to how it's set up now to prey upon people yeah. of color, people of less financial or, or who aren't so well off financially. I would like to see that change about the system. Sha, one of the things we like to do at the end of the show and we are coming up on the hour is see if we can learn by taking the other side of the of the debate. And if you... I appreciate your candor earlier about the fact that you know you prison was right in your particular case for a for a period of time for your for your healing and recovery and reintegration into society. If you were to take the other side of the uh, of of the debate and kind of uh, advocate for a restriction on uh, defendants' ability to express themselves through video or through these other means. What, what would be the argument on the other side? What, why do you think maybe this we shouldn't allow for more creativity in in sentencing and in asking for clemency? Looking at it from the other side, ugh, that, that's rough, man. Because <laughs> I think order in order for somebody to get to that position, I would think they would assume that there's nothing wrong with currently exists. Right. So if a person believes that, you know, a person doesn't need to express themselves or doesn't need, like, the rest of the complete picture to their story told, I think that person would, would, would assume that there's no flaws in the system, right? That, that's the only way that I would arrive at that place. Yeah, that's why, and, that's why um, I got so defensive. <laughs> if you've been through it, it's just like, oh my gosh, the, the, every yeah, aspect of this was flawed. But we're gonna we're gonna be we're gonna be coming sorry, up. I got dropped here. That's okay, <laughs> Becca. You've got you've got the last twenty seconds before we wish everyone a merry Christmas. What would you? How would you argue against the work that you're doing? Is there is there a reasonable position to say that you shouldn't be doing this type of work? Ah. <laughs> oh my goodness, I no, I'm sorry. All right, there's no. There's no reason. Shaw, it is definitely a perfect Becca, job for us. <laughs> thank you both for the work that you're doing in advocacy and criminal justice reform. Merry Christmas to everyone who's celebrating. Happy holidays. God bless. Be talking next week. God bless. Thank you.
Thank you, Dove. Come, they told.